another great episode of the Adam Talks podcast. Today we're going to be talking about several different things. Nerd related things actually. Movies and uh, TV shows that are related to uh, Marvel and DC before their expanded universes started. Uh, Before the MCU and before Zack Snyder came along and tried to make this really awesome thing that you know well y'all know my opinion you heard it in the first episode if you're listening. Um, but we're going to talk about that, my favorite comic book characters, as well as uh, inspirations for me as far as directing, stylized for uh, movies and stuff, what kind of styles I really try to pull from, the looks and everything. Um, we're going to try to, I'm going to try to let y'all know some of those things because there are inspirations that I have from all over. And I kind of want to let y'all know about those. Um, but. Let's go ahead and get right into the episode. This is going to be a good one, guys. This is the Adam Talks Podcast. So before I get into anything major as far as the podcast, before I get really started on this episode, I, I wanted to give a shout out to the newest podcast I'm part of. Uh, it's a weekly show where me and Glenn Lewis, the Nerd of Steel, go into all kinds of stuff having to do with nerd culture. I mean, tabletop games, board games, so on and so forth. Uh comic book related stuff, movies, uh, and and it doesn't necessarily even have to be nerd culture. It's just stuff we like and we can talk about at extent. Um, at this point, there are a couple episodes online already. Go and check those out. It's called the nerd talk podcast, the nerd talk podcast. It is a lot of fun guys. You're going to love it. We, we have so much fun on there, and Glenn, Glenn lets me know stuff that I have no clue about, and I've been able to do the same about some different stuff as well. Um, it, it's just a lot of fun. We get to have a good time doing what we do, and, uh, you know, it, it's a bunch of, it's just a couple of nerds getting together and doing something that they love doing, talking about stuff that's a lot of fun. And at the beginning of each episode, we have a audio drama segment. Uh, right now, it's a Warhammer-based audio drama uh, from a campaign that Glenn is playing through. And we get to listen to this audio drama. We get to hear what's going on throughout this story as Glenn is playing through this campaign. And it's going to be about seven episodes long. So it's going to be a lot of fun. 
trust me when I say this, you're going to love the experience. You're going to love how much, uh, we get into this kind of stuff. And this isn't going to be the only thing. It's going to be seven episodes of that. Then it's going to be a separate audio drama series at the beginning, uh, for several episodes. And then we're going to end this first season, uh, the first season with a unique audio drama that we are going to create together and both take part in. It's going to be a lot of fun, guys. And I haven't even said the best part. The best part's at the very end. Apart from all the stuff in the middle, the end, you get to have uh, a really cool look at something that we're calling the character matchup. Now, the character matchup is where we take fictional characters, uh, one from whatever universe we want and another one from whatever other universe we want. It could be from film. It could be from comic books. It can be from fantasy. It can be any two characters from any universe, as well as groups of characters involved in this as, at the same time. So two, two characters or groups of characters pitting them against each other in a fight to see who exactly would come out victorious in this clash. And Glenn will break all of their stats down. He'll break everything down about them uh, that he knows he is a wizard whenever it comes to knowledge of all things nerd. So he'll be able to give a lot of insight into these characters' powers, these characters' uh, mannerisms, the way they act, uh, what kind of personalities they have, and how well they get, they get along with other people if it's a group effort. Uh, he'll be able to break it down and tell us exactly why he thinks this person will win and how he thinks this person or group of people would win. And I'll weigh in on my opinion as well before he gives his, uh, before he gives his opinion on things. So check out the Nerd Talk podcast. I wanted to give a quick plug to that because it is very important to me that you guys check it out. It's a lot of fun. And if you're anything like me, if you like any of the content that I've done, you're going to love the Nerd Talk podcast with me and Glenn Lewis. Now that that's out of the way, though, let's get into the real podcast right here. So, getting started on this episode, it's going to be comic book heavy. I gave that little intro and told you kind of what we're going to be talking about. So, I'm going to jump right into it. Uh, as far as my favorite comic book characters go, I have several for both DC and Marvel. I mean, there's tons of characters that I really like a lot. Um, but, I guess going with the very first character that... Um, Going with the very first character that I'm... I'm sorry about that yawn, but... Going with the very first character that I ever remember learning about was Batman. And Batman's really been my favorite comic book character of all time. Um, I, I think that it's su he's super relatable because he doesn't have superpowers. He has a very big intelligence uh, level. He has a really high pain threshold. He has a high... Uh, martial arts background as far as his level of what all he knows skills and everything. He knows all kinds of martial arts skills. He's one of the best fighters in DC Comics, uh, barring no one. Uh, I, I, I believe he can fight and go against anyone, but his story is what's relatable. His parents die, he sees them get shot after a movie. Sometimes it's the Mask of Zorro, and sometimes it's uh, another movie, Excalibur, or something else. But um, 
he walks, him and his parents leave this movie early and they're walking down an alley and a guy comes and he mugs them, he, he robs them. He asks for their money and jewelry and the mom, uh, or the uh, Thomas Wayne, the dad says, yeah, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll get you what you want. Here you go. And he says, I said jewelry too. And he uh, puts the gun, he shoots Thomas for lunging at him. Thomas goes down. And then he pulls the gun on Martha and he shoots and her pearls break off of her necklace, fall to the ground. They're both dead. Bruce is left there to really not know what he's needing to do because he's a kid. He's like eight years old or something, sometimes younger, sometimes older. He's a young kid. So it's a very traumatic event. And... You know, there have been several interpretations of this scene from the Chris Nolan stuff you've seen it in. You've seen it in the Val Kilmer movie, I believe. Uh, the very first Batman you saw it. Um, and uh, like the 1989 movie you saw it in that. Uh, there have been several comic books, I believe, that have shown the same thing in different ways. But that's kind of what formed Batman. That's what made him who he is. He... he, he decided he would fight uh, fight crime so that that would never happen to any other kids. <sighs> Excuse me, I'm so sorry. Um, but he is a, he's a guy that isn't afraid to go and, you know, walk the line, break the rules, whatever needs to be done to, uh, to help people. Uh, with the exception of killing, he won't kill. Um, there have been some comic books where he does kill. Like the Flashpoint Batman, which is Thomas Wayne. Because Bruce gets killed. And his mom, Martha, turns into the Joker. Which would be pretty cool to see in live action. Um, but we, we, we never got to see that. There's a Flashpoint Paradox movie. That's a cartoon. And it's one of the best cartoon uh, superhero movies I've ever seen. Um, but his one rule is no killing. You know, you don't kill. Because he saw that at a young age, he wants to prevent that. So he goes away, travels the world, learns all sorts of different martial arts, and comes back to Gotham and needs to find out, you know, this how he's going to fight back against it. Batman Year One is a good comic book to see how he starts his career. Uh, I've been reading it here recently. See how, uh, so you can see, get in his head and understand kind of the way that he thinks. You know, in the movies, there are several different things. Like Christopher Nolan's, it sets it in a realistic world. So, uh, it sets it in a world that's grounded, you know. There are some larger-than-life things, sure, but he tries to put as much of the real reality in these situations, giving reasons for uh, the reason Batman wears gauntlets, the reason he has a utility belt, the reason uh, why his mask is the way it is. Uh, it, it, there there are so many things. His his All of his gadgets and even the Batmobile... Uh, has actual real-world uses 
He just uses him in a different way. Uh, uses him for his own thing. So Batman is my favorite hero in DC Comics. Uh, I believe people call him an anti-hero. But I, I don't know that I would say that. I think he's just a hero. He's someone that, you know, sure. Or I, I mean, sure, he, he doesn't necessarily call himself a hero. He don't want to be known as a hero. And he thinks people don't treat him like a hero. They treat him like a villain. Uh, which does, I guess, technically make him an anti-hero. But it, it's different than the Punisher in a big way. You know, the Punisher is not afraid to kill people. Uh, Punisher is not afraid to cross any and every line to try to, to get rid of, permanently get rid of bad guys. And Batman won't do that. Um, so Batman's probably my favorite DC comic book character. Uh, on the Marvel side of things, Daredevil is my favorite character. Wow, isn't that crazy? You get a dark hero from... DC and from Marvel. What? Um, and my introduction to Daredevil was honest to God truth through the Ben Affleck version of Daredevil in the early uh, 2000s Marvel movie Daredevil. It was a great movie. Uh, a lot of people hated it. I loved it. I, I watched it and I was like, wow, this is awesome. And I think it's because he, he was similar to Batman in ways. But also, he has powers. You know, he gets blinded as a kid. This acid or poison or whatever it is gets in his eyes and it takes his sight away. But because it does that, his other senses are amplified. So he can hear way better than anyone else. He can uh, hear someone talking on the street when he's in like the 10th story of a building just like he's right beside him. He can hear all kinds of stuff, and because of his hearing being so good, it gives him kind of like this sonar sort of thing. He's able to see by the sounds. So he's able to move at a very quick pace. He's able to do all kinds of things that people normally couldn't do. And he's been trained by ninjas, I believe. I, I don't, don't quote me on this. I believe he's been trained by either ninjas or... Uh, I think a group called The Hand or something of that nature. I can't remember. The Marvel Netflix uh, Daredevil series was, uh, it was three seasons long, and it was probably by far my favorite series Marvel has ever done, ever. It, it was just great. The The grittiness, the down-to-earth realism in it, the the way that they portray all of the stuff that that happens with Matt, it's great, and Charlie Cox does an amazing job. But I think I like him also because of his characters in that that he faces off with, you know. Um, and and much like Batman, his dad gets killed. His dad was a boxer, and his dad gets killed. And because his dad gets killed, he's way he turns himself into. Well, he goes to school, obviously, but. He becomes a lawyer to fight for the little man, uh, to fight for the people less fortunate. But also, uh, by night, he's the daredevil, and he fights crime, uh, trying to prevent, much like Batman, this from happening to anybody else's family. He has, uh, where Batman has a whole bunch of gadgets, he has a baton, 
and uh, his baton has, like, it's like a string, you know? Batman has a grapple gun. Daredevil has a retractable baton that he can use to swing from thing to thing. Uh, Out in Manhattan, or Hell's Kitchen is what it's called, but uh, in New York, you know? And he's a ground-level hero, just like uh, Batman is for the most part. And I, I think I relate more to ground-level heroes than I do anybody else. Some other people that I really like uh, are... I like Green Arrow a lot. I like Green Lantern, The Flash. Um, and in Marvel, it's Captain America for sure. I really like Captain America. And I think... A lot of this stuff goes back to... Wolverine's a cool one that I like. I'm so sorry I just jumped in there right in the middle of talking. Wolverine's awesome, though. Um, Spider-Man's really cool. I've liked Venom for a long time. Um, but there's there's a whole bunch of characters that I really like. Uh, but Batman and Daredevil are my two favorites by far. I mean, by a mile. Batman and Daredevil are my two favorites. I think it would be really cool, and I know they've done it in a comic book, but I'd like to see it if there was a way in live action. Batman versus Daredevil. Charlie Cox, Daredevil versus probably Ben Affleck, Batman. But even if it wasn't Ben Affleck, Robert Pattinson, Batman, would be cool to see going against Daredevil, uh, played by Charlie Cox. Because they did such a good job. They show his fight, uh, his fighting style is so good in... Uh, the Netflix series, he's fought off gangs of people and no suit, no nothing. He's just wearing black, just a black jumpsuit with a black bandana over his eyes and his hands are wrapped up with uh, uh, like wrap tape or whatever you want to call it, the white wrist wrap tape. His hands are wrapped up in that like a boxer's would be. And that's all he has. He's not like... Uh, fighting anybody with a big bulky suit. He's not doing anything like that. He's fighting in normal clothes, which is nuts if you ask me. But he does it and he's able to, you know, he's able to fight these people like Bullseye, like the Kingpin, like uh, Electra. Like, I mean, there are so many people that he's able to face off with. And it's just really cool, you know, being able to see Daredevil uh, do what he, he does against all of these people. It's pretty awesome, if you ask me. We're going to go ahead and move into Marvel and DC movies before their expanded universes. Because uh, there's something to be said about the movies that came before the MCU and the DCEU. Because those are, those are the connected universes for each brand, respectively. Uh, respectfully, whatever, uh, you know, you got the MCU that spans almost 30 movies plus TV series plus specials and, uh, you got all these different movies. I mean, so many movies and you got to know, like with every 10, you get one or two duds. It's going to happen. Um, but before that, There wasn't a connected universe. There were movies with sequels. Just like in DC, there were movies with sequels and standalone movies. So for DC, your movies were like Superman through Superman 5 with Christopher Reeve. The Burton 
uh, two Burton movies and the two Schumacher movies as far as Batman goes. You had Superman, uh, or yeah, Superman Returns as well. Uh, and there were TV shows like The Flash from from the 90s. Uh, then there was, uh, the Superman, or the, uh, Lois and Clark TV show with Dean Cain. And Smallville, of course, came before the Arrowverse. And then at Marvel, you had, like, uh, well, I mean, even if you go back further than that in DC, you can look at, like, George Reeves' Superman. You can look at the two Batman and Robin black and white serials that they had from the 40s. Before George Reeves, I believe there was somebody else that played Superman as well. Then there's the Adam West Batman. There was a lot, a lot of stuff. Uh, the Superboy series, then uh, Supergirl movie. There was a bunch of stuff that they did uh, for DC. And with Marvel as well. Uh, you know, Marvel had all, th- all all three of the X-Men movies before the MCU came around. Marvel had, uh, Marvel had Daredevil, Spider-Man, uh, two Fantastic Four movies. Uh, well, three, if you count the really bad one in the nineties, uh, they had, uh, the incredible Hulk show with its made for TV movies as well. Uh, and in those made for TV movies, you got to see daredevil for the first time. You got to see, uh, Thor for the first time and in Marvel live action. Also in the seventies, there was a Spider-Man, uh, show and movies in the seventies. There was also captain America stuff. Uh, there were so many different things that had happened before the MCU and the DCEU. And looking back, I, I think that, and I've said this before, DC is my favorite. Uh, but I think Marvel had DC beat before pre-MCU as far as movies go. Uh, if you're counting my time frame, which is the 90s and up, Marvel had DC beat. They had the X-Men series. They had the tri- uh, the three Spi- Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. They had uh, the, uh, what was it? They had the the, uh, the two Fantastic Four movies, Daredevil, Punisher. I mean, that's, that's like several movies. And in the 90s, uh, Up, we got Joel Schumacher, two Joel Schumacher movies, two Tim Burton Batman movies, and Superman Lives, if I'm not mistaken. I don't believe there were any other ones uh, in the 90s up. Well, you had Green Lantern, too. I completely forgot about that. Jonah Hex is another one. But uh, The Losers was, a, I think, a Vertigo comic, but it's DC still. So, I mean, you got several things from DC, but none of them were as good as the Marvel movies and before the MCU and before the DCEU. Marvel had the better movies. DC definitely had the better series. Um, and a lot of people will still say that today, but eh, I disagree with that. I think they're about even. They're, there's different positives and negatives for both. But if you look at the series, no series in Marvel to this day, in my opinion, even with the MCU, is as good as Smallville. DC has not done anything as good as Smallville either. Smallville was the best superhero show ever the only thing that comes close was probably like incredible hulk for marvel and and that was a pretty cool show it was but the the thing about it was it was like isolated episodes there was no continued story 
maybe Lois and Clark was close to that. The Flash only did one season. Otherwise, I could put it in there. But I really like The Flash. Don't get me wrong. The, 90, the 1990 Flash, as corny as it was, I really like it. Uh, I'm, I'm a fan of bad movies, though. I like Green Lantern, and I like Daredevil. And neither of those were amazing by anybody's standards. But I liked them a lot. I also like Jonah Hex. It was okay. It was it was different. It was a, a different kind of Western. So uh, I think that as far as the, the movies, if I had to say what my favorite DC movies were before the DCEU and why, uh, I'll give three favorites for each, DC and Marvel. Uh, so the number three, which is going to be the least favorite out of my favorite movies, which isn't saying a ton, uh, pre-DCEU, would be, um, probably, um, and look, I'm not, it, it's a hard thing because I have, uh, I'm going to say there's a tie for third and I, I'll give both. If there's a tie anywhere, I will put another one and we will not count like fourth place or anything like that. We'll say two threes, a two, and a one, two, uh, a three, two twos, and a one, or two, if there's two first places, a three, two, and two ones, you know. So <clears throat> probably be like um, uh, Green Lantern's probably number three for me. I really liked Green Lantern. Uh, no joke. I thought Ryan Reynolds did a great job showing Hal Jordan having to conquer fear. And uh, even though he hated the movie and he makes fun of it in every Deadpool movie he's in, I, I thought it was just great. I thought that it was amazing. Uh, I thought that it was cool how they had a Sinestro turn at the very end. And he made the yellow lantern ring uh, and stuff. Uh, was going to start the Sinestro Corps. Mark Strong is just amazing as, as Sinestro as well. He's, whoa, I mean, blew me away with how how good he was as Sinestro. And that's no joke. Uh, after I get done with this, if I don't, uh, after I get done with this, if, if I have time, I'm going to actually probably watch Green Lantern. Because I really like that movie. And that's that's not a joke in any way. I really like Green Lantern. Um, you know, I thought it was good. <laughs> and second place would probably be... Um, probably Superman Lives. Or not Superman Lives. Uh, Superman, uh, Superman Returns with Brandon Routh. I, I thought... That was a pretty good movie. The story was off. Wasn't amazing. But I thought he did a really good job capturing Superman. I thought that... Uh, what's his name? Uh, oh my gosh. Kevin Spacey did a great job playing Lex Luthor. It wasn't Michael Rosenbaum levels of good. But it was it was pretty dang good, you know? I thought the whole... Superman having a son at the end was a little too much for me. He literally lifted up an entire island of kryptonite and flew it into space. And then he went back to Earth. Uh, 
or fell. I can't remember which. I think he fell. And Lois had to get in the water and save him. And Cyclops was there. I mean, James Marsden was there. And it was just a really good movie, you know? Uh, it wasn't really good. I, I'd probably act... Let me switch those. Superman Lives is three. Uh, is three. Green Lantern's two. And my number one movies, because I can't pick between these two DC, uh, pre-DCEU movies, uh, the uh, Superman, uh, Superman 2, the Richard Donner cut, and Batman Forever. Um... No, I changed my freaking mind. Oh, man. You know what? I'll do five. How about that? We'll do five. So, Superman Returns. I changed my mind, guys. I am so sorry. I'm wishy-washy, but I'm not wishy-washy in a bad way. I am Mr. Takeback, but also I am an ADHD guy that doesn't really think about things because I completely forgot, and I knew I'd been forgetting something pre-DCEU, and it's the Nolan trilogy. I talked about it earlier, guys. What the hell am I doing? Anyway, um, so <clears throat> it would go Brandon Routh, Superman Returns, Green Lantern, then it would go Batman Forever, Superman 2, the Richard Donner cut, and The Dark Knight. That is my top five DC movies pre-DCEU. And why The Dark Knight? Why is it number one? I don't feel like I have to answer that. It is one of the best superhero movies of all time. And it's still probably top two, top two or three movies of all time for me, period. Not like I could watch it at any point and get enjoyment out of it. Uh, Heath Ledger's Joker was great. I love the detective skills of Batman. I love being able to see him transition from the uh, Batman uh, cow that where he couldn't turn his head to the one where he could turn his head. Um, I, I loved all of it. I think the interaction, uh, seeing Aaron Eckhart play uh, Two-Face was great. They had so many really good pieces to this movie, and it was just outstanding. Uh, Superman 2, the Richard Donner cut, was Man of Steel. Literally, it was Man of Steel made in the 70s or 80s. It was outstanding the way that uh, Donner put all this together. He made it work. He had them have a huge fight scene in Metropolis. Uh, Zod, his big guy, and then the girl, Feora, I think was her name or something. Um, but it was really good. Uh, and then Val Kilmer as Batman, for the longest time, when I was five, six years old, I watched... Uh, I watched... Batman Forever. My mom recorded it. Jim Carrey played the uh, the Riddler, and Tommy Lee Jones was Two Face. And guys, I I promise you, he is as close to the cartoon Batman in live action as you're going to get. Uh, in my opinion, he portrayed Val Kilmer portrayed Bruce Wayne and Batman perfectly for the '90s. You know, I thought he did an amazing job. And I don't understand why he didn't come back for Batman and Robin. Maybe he didn't like the direction it was going. Maybe he just agreed to one movie. I don't know. But those are my top five. Uh, those are my top five DC movies pre-DCEU. Love all those movies. Those are great. 
as far as Marvel goes, it's going to be a little bit different. So Marvel movies pre-MCU. Uh, let's see. If I had to pick five of them. Um, I liked. Let's see. The original Spider-Man's in there. Daredevil's in there. Uh, this is a controversial one. One that people don't like as well. Uh, X3, Last Stand. I loved that one. X-Men 3, Last Stand. That was good. Uh, the Ang Lee Hulk movie was good. It was really cool with the comic book panels. And then... I would say the Punisher, but I don't really, I didn't really like the Punisher movie. I mean, it was cool. Thomas Jane, it was pretty cool, you know. Uh, but I liked the Punisher Warzone movie with Ray Stevenson in it. That one was really cool to me. Um, I, I don't know. Um, I guess I could, I, I know what I'll do. Now it's literally all about reordering them. Which one do I want in what place? And that's a hard thing because all those movies were great. But if I had to, I guess I would go Ang Lee, Hulk, and original X-Men tied for fifth. Fourth place would be... Um, well, hang on. Did I... Or, Ang Lee, Hulk is fifth. Original X-Men is fourth. Um, no, no, no. Angley Hulk. I'm so sorry. Angley Hulk, X-Men 3, probably original X-Men, Spider-Man, or Daredevil, then Spider-Man. Um, I like... So I liked the Angley Hulk movie. I thought it was really good, honestly. I thought it was cool because it was showed it showed Hulk in a completely different way than I'd ever seen anything. It was completely CG. Uh, it showed him Eric Bana morph into Hulk. The transitions were really smooth. I liked the comic book paneling that you got to see in it. I thought that was really awesome. It was a different way than anybody's done any kind of uh, comic book movies before. So it was really ahead of its time in different ways. And I thought that uh, that movie was pretty dang cool, you know. X-Men 3 I liked because it was just, it was like a war, you know. X3 was like a movie that was literally just war. Uh, Jean Grey came back as the Phoenix and she killed Cyclops right at the beginning of the movie. And then Beast was in there and there was a whole bunch of other mutants that you got to see. Like a guy with splinters coming out of him. Toad was in there, I think. No, he, he died in the first one. But uh, they were just a bunch of really cool pieces in this movie and I, I really liked it a lot um the reason I can't say 
you know, the Amazing Spider-Man or anything like that is because that came out, all of that, plus the the newer Fantastic Four from 2015, was during the time of the MCU, and so was the other X-Men movies, Days of Future Past and all that. Otherwise, we'd have different movies still on this list. Um, I think that as far as the reasoning for X-Men, it was a classic um, Hugh Jackman's first time playing Wolverine, and he knocked it out of the park. Uh, uh, Rose, or not Rose, maybe it was Rose, Anna Paquin, Paquin, Paquin? I don't know. She played Rogue. She did a great job. Scared to use her power, scared of everything Halle Berry as Storm, uh, then you got Patrick Stewart, the great Patrick Stewart, Sir Patrick, Patrick Stewart as Charles Xavier. And it was really cool. You know, he matched up perfectly to who Charles Xavier was. Uh, James Marsden played, uh, uh, Scott Summers, you know, he was really good as Cyclops. It was just a really cool movie. To, to be able to see, to be able to watch as a kid, it was so cool how they did everything. I didn't understand how any of it worked. And and I think in ways these movies kind of made me want to make movies, you know. But after that, we had, uh, what was it? So, Ang Lee, X3, X-Men, okay, Daredevil. I've already talked about Daredevil. Uh, Ben Affleck playing Daredevil. Then you have, uh, Jennifer Garner playing, uh, Electra Nachos. I don't think I'm saying that right. Nachos. Something like that. But, uh, Michael Clark Duncan, the late Michael Clark Duncan, great actor, Green Mile, all kinds of other stuff, playing as the Kingpin, and Colin Farrell playing as Bullseye. And, man, they killed it. The, the script was not amazing. The director apparently was not easy to work with, and he wasn't amazing. He was just a big fanboy. And it was like a fan film on a giant budget for him. He was like, oh, I get to do... But it, it, it was really cool. Some of the special effects didn't work out great, but at the same time, for me, that movie was awesome because I got to see Marvel in a very dark place in that movie whenever... All the other movies in the past, you know, X-Men wasn't extremely bright, but it wasn't extremely dark either. I think Daredevil took it to a pretty dark place, apart from the fight scene between Elektra and uh, Matt Murdock in the park on the teeter-totters. That was dumb, but it is what it is. Everything else about that movie was pretty dang dark, and I love dark movies. I think... Movies in a dark place is really good. Uh, I think it makes things more interesting, more, it feel more, uh, I don't know, more like it had, like something's got to happen or this is going to be, you know, more is on the line whenever it's a darker movie, in my opinion. Not to say that lighter movies can't feel like everything's on the line or there's a lot on the line, but darker movies interest me a lot more, I guess is what I'm saying. And then you got the original Spider-Man, Sam Raimi, Spider-Man. What can you say apart from Tobey Maguire played the perfect Peter Parker? He was 
it was pretty good as Spider-Man, you know, but I think he was better as Peter Parker. Um, and I've said this on a past podcast, I believe, but <clears throat> my favorite Spider-Man is Andrew Garfield. My favorite Peter Parker is Tobey Maguire. And I think overall, Tom Holland does the best portrayal of both worlds. He makes the best Peter Parker slash Spider-Man. Uh, he knows how to be a nerd outside of school, in school. He knows how to be a dork, a nerd, and get picked on and not feel comfortable in his own skin. And then as Spider-Man, he has this smart mouth and he's just a snarky little kid. It's great, you know, and, and I love that. But for this movie, I was, I think, 12 or 13 whenever it came out. And I was blown away. I watched Spider-Man on VHS, gosh, at least three, four, five times right after we got it. I would rewind the movie and I'd watch it again. I'd rewind the movie and I'd watch it again. And it was one of those movies that I was like, wow, this is nuts. Willem Dafoe as Norman Osborn, Green Goblin. And James Franco, a young James Franco, playing Harry Osborn. Are you kidding me? They had an amazing cast. Kristen Dunst playing, uh, Kristen Dunst playing uh, Mary Jane Watson, and uh, Rosemary Harris playing uh, Aunt May. Dude, they had such an amazing cast. I forget the guy's name that played Uncle Ben, but he was great too. So many really good people in this movie. Bruce Campbell had a cameo in it as the ring announcer uh, at the wrestling event. What the heck? I mean, they had such a loaded cast for this first Spider-Man movie. And it all came together perfectly, you know. Um, but those are probably my favorite movies pre-DCEU and pre-MCU for Marvel and DC. Uh, like I said though. As far as TV shows. No show. As far as comic book act, comic book shows. No show can beat Smallville in my mind. Smallville went 10 seasons. From 01 to 2011. And they killed it. Oh my gosh. Did they kill it. They, they knew how to make uh, Tom Welling. Tom Welling. I've said this to, to Glenn and go and check out the Nerd Talk podcast. I already talked to y'all about that at the very beginning, but go and check it out. But I've already told Glenn so many times, uh, Tom Welling can do no wrong as Clark Kent. He is the best Clark Kent ever. And that's because we got to live with him for 10 years before he even became Superman. He came, became Superman in the very last, at the very end of the very last episode of the show, you get to see him as Superman in one, uh, in one episode. But it's because the past him gets brought to see the future him. You know, it, it's it's really cool. If you haven't watched Smallville, go and watch it. And while you're watching each episode from the first season to, I think. Uh, to the second, through the second season, uh, and, and can, and going on even further, uh, after each episode, go on YouTube, 
Look up the Talkville podcast. You'll see Michael Rosenbaum and Tom Welling. Michael Rosenbaum, the very best of all time Lex Luthor. No one is better than Michael Rosenbaum at playing Lex Luthor. He is great. Erica Durant is the best Lois Lane, in my opinion. I mean, there's so many, so many, many good things that all of these cast members did to make this show work perfectly. And it's, it's, it is kind of a period piece because you watch it, and if you haven't seen it before, you would have to put yourself back in the time period of the show, 2001 to 2011, meaning a lot of stuff that we have today, phones, uh, uh, like cell phones, iPhones, uh, touchscreen everything, all that stuff, it goes away. There was no tablets, there was no none of that. It was all uh, big desktop computers, uh, bulky laptops, uh, cell phones were flip phones and, and brick phones. You know, the Nokia series was around all the time. But uh, if you watch this show, go episode by episode. After each episode, go and watch uh, Talkville. You'll get to find out inside stuff about each episode from what they remember and it's just really cool to, to hear these guys talk about it today, what happened back then. It's a commentary from 20 years later. But anyways, guys, I think I've rambled about this for a little bit. Um, so let me get off of this topic, and we're going to go on to the next. So I guess when it comes to film inspirations, there's a couple different things. There's story there's the visual side of it, and then there's the directing side of it, I guess. Uh, and I, I don't know how people do it specifically. You know, I've, I've seen the color palettes and the way Zack Snyder does his, and I really like that, uh, that style, the extreme contrast. The darks are way darker, the lights are way, the, you know, the light colors are way lighter. Um, it's just a more intense feel. And that's kind of what I gravitate towards whenever it comes to filmmaking as a whole. I think that filmmaking for me is an outlet in a way, um, in the same way, I guess art is, uh, drawing or writing or anything like that is for anybody else. Uh, you know, some people have different outlets. Like, uh, I have several outlets and the podcast is definitely one of them, but I think, for filmmaking, as far as my visuals go, I like to take things from, okay, so say I'm doing something like a serious movie or something, something um, not not comedic, something that has a very serious uh, or sincere tone to it. I, I want the colors to reflect that. So with the Brothers movie, it was a darker kind of movie about this this cop, you know, that has a brother who's in a gang and has a police captain uh, who wants the drugs to be out of this city and wants to find where they're, uh, how they're getting, how they're moving the drugs. Uh, and he goes to his brother and he talks to his brother. And his brother at first is very hesitant to reveal anything, to talk about any of this. And he's like, you know, putting this front up uh, uh, that, that he, he's got everything he needs with these people. You know, there's no, uh, there's no reason why he should give any information up. And 
or say anything. But then the next day, he ends up calling his brother, uh, the cop. He calls his brother, and, or the the gang member calls his brother. Uh, the gang member's name is Tony, and the bro- the cop is Donnie. So Tony calls Donnie up, and he says, I think you were right, you know, I, I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm kind of in deep now. Uh, but I was wondering if we could talk at some point. And uh, he says, yeah. So they talk the next day, and whenever they're talking, he, he kind of tells him what he knows. He's he's new to the, the Black Diamond, which is what the uh, gang is called. He's new to the Black Diamond, and he's not able to, you know, uh, he's not able to tell him a lot because he doesn't know a lot. But he tells him what he knows, and Donnie goes back to his captain and tells him that. And we see uh, Tony go back to the place, uh, the the place where he's staying or whatever. And uh, the big boss... Uh, Frankie Jameson hears that he's been telling secrets from somebody. Somebody saw him or something, and he's telling secrets about the gang's activities, and they don't like that. So Tony ends up getting shot by the leader, and uh, Frankie picks the phone up, and he ends up calling Donnie up and says, you know, you know, uh, you know, uh, if you want to uh, come and stop me, or, or I can't remember exactly the way it was, but basically he wanted to come down and have a conversation with him. So Donnie goes and has a conversation, but not before calling his captain and letting him know about it. Um, and uh, Donnie gets shot because this conversation gets heated. Uh, Frankie shoots him. And after he shoots him, the police bust in. They chase uh, Frankie through the house. Frankie tries to run, but the cop gets him. Uh, the captain gets him. And then, you know, at the end of the movie, Donnie is wanting to be an even better cop than he already has been in honor of his brother for sacrificing uh, so much for trying to do something right in this really bad situation he's in. Um, and he, he, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a darker in tone movie. So, uh, there's a lot less color in it. There's a lot less vibrance in it. It's a very dark, grim looking film. Uh, A lot of the color is sucked out. It's like, uh, it's mostly like, uh, darker colors, grays, and, you know, light colors over the top of that. Whereas, um, because it's in this dark city, uh, and they don't even, I don't believe the town even has a name. I believe it's just, you know, referred to as the city. Um, the town doesn't have a name. The only people that have names are these three people and the gang's name. Uh, I wrote this film in... I don't know, uh, about uh, a couple weeks to a month. I wrote, and it's a 30-minute movie. So I wrote this, and whenever I wrote it, it was very, um, it was very cool, cool because it was the first time I really had a unique film idea, and I put it out there, and Mike and Jesse, you know, 
gravitated towards it. They obviously said they would help because they love filming. Uh, they love acting. So, um, whenever it comes to the lighting, that's why that was the way it was. But then you go to a movie I'm shooting currently and editing down. There's, uh, and it's, uh, the first hero verse movie, the hooded man. There, there are scenes that are very dark in this, but those scenes have still have plenty of color. Uh, they're a little, it's a little bit more vibrant because we want the city to feel alive. The city is a place where, um, we want people to feel like this is something I could see wherever. And the guys that were, uh, the, there are scenes where it's really bright cause it's daytime scenes, uh, and it's out in the middle of town and it's, it's just a really cool, uh, contrast, you know, but it's still high con, uh, contrast between the films, but as far as the visual goes, it's a really high contrast film. The darks are super dark. The lights are super light. The colors are vibrant. There are some scenes where the colors aren't so vibrant, but for the most part, it's a pretty vibrant feeling movie. You know, it feels alive and it's all about what kind of movie you're making. But Zack Snyder, uh, the way he does his stuff really had an effect on me, uh, especially watching his, um, especially what, like, if you watch the way he did Dawn of the Dead, uh, as far as visually, because uh, the way I, I do it, I'm not entirely sure, I can't remember, because I've read stuff and I've watched special effects uh, or special features that explain how they're doing stuff, but the director has the vision of how he wants it to look. Uh, the writers write the movie, the director has the vision, uh, and he helps everybody else see that vision. So in Dawn of the Dead, you got this yellowish-orange tint to everything, but it's lacking uh, a lot of real color. You know, the blood may be closer to a black than a, than a red, or a brown than a red, uh, even if it's fresh blood. Uh, there, there's a whole bunch of aspects like that. And then you got movies like 300, which are the same sort of thing. Uh, there are certain colors in those that are really pop, that really pop, but other colors don't pop at all, you know. Um, the other colors that, that are in it are are like grays or very, uh, uh, very uh, unsaturated. And I, I think that kind of helped me to stylize uh, the Brothers movie, seeing that sort of a feel, you know. The lack of life the lack of color, the lack of seeing things uh, in, in any kind of vibrance uh, makes that hope, gives you that hopeless feel. Whereas if you have more colors in it, they're more vibrant, they're more saturated with colors, it looks more alive. It looks more like there's hope or there's some chance of something happening. If you watch um, Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman, those are similarly colored. And what I mean by that is you'll see some colors standing out more than others. But for the most part, it's it's li like not super light. It's not Dawn of the Dead or anything like that, uh, light saturation. But it's, it's, you know, less than normal saturation level, slightly less than normal saturation level and high contrast, which is which is what I really like. Um uh, and then you go to a movie like Zack Snyder's Justice League, and that has slightly more saturation than uh, the other movies because there's a sense of coming together and a sense of hope and a sense of 
we have to do this sort of thing. And it's, it's, I don't know how to explain it. It just, it works really well for that kind of feel. And that's kind of, you know, some of the feelings that I take away from as far as that goes. Um, and whenever I'm writing, you know, whenever you're writing, cause I'm a no budget filmmaker, I direct, write and, uh, act in a lot of the stuff that I do. So, um, excuse me. So, uh, the writing aspect of stuff, I think I like, uh, the way that the Russo brothers write their movies. I think their stuff is really well. Uh, I'm not entirely sure if they write everything or if they just write some of the stuff or even if they write anything there, I feel like their directorial style is something similar to me as well, because they have a lot of, you know, if you can't think of, if, if the line doesn't fit, we can make something work to where it fits. So you ask your actors and you talk to them and you say, all right, this is the situation. Your line is this. You need to come up with something that matches it, or we can work together and figure out what this situation would look like in reality. Because at the end of the day, in my opinion, the best movies are the movies that feel like you could see them happening right outside your front door. You want a movie that, that people are going to go, whoa, and be able to attach to the characters because the characters are going to be them. They live through these characters when they're watching the movies. You relate to these pe people. So um, I, I like the, the, the feel of a lot of movies. They can, the, in a lot of the Russo brothers stuff, they put, uh, they have a lot of heart, a lot of feeling, a lot of very serious tone, but there are elements of lightness in it. So you'll see some happiness, you'll see some, you know, uh, things of that nature. But if it's a comedy, a comedy or a comical scene, I mean, there's, there's so many examples of them doing great comic work, uh, from the Avengers, uh, from Avengers Infinity War, where you saw Tony Stark, uh, and uh, Peter Parker meet up with the Guardians of the Galaxy, and they had this huge conversation that was just hilarious. Uh, the the, the uh, Star-Lord and Thor scenes, super hilarious as well. Uh, and, and that was just coming from their background because they were uh, some of the senior directors, uh, first, really first directors uh, in Community, uh, my favorite sitcom, my favorite TV show of all time. So, I mean... There's a lot of really cool aspects to to making a movie. Uh, I'd have to say the big two are the Russos and uh, Zack Snyder because they have two tones that I love. You know, the Russos are able to go silly with stuff. Zack Snyder's able to do really cool, serious work and have a good overarching story. And I really like that a lot. Uh, uh, the Russos also do really serious stuff, but they have a lot of, I, I want to say, heartfelt stuff in theirs. Whereas some of the uh, some of the Zack Snyder stuff may come off a little bit more callous, and I'm not being negative in any way. I'm just stating the stuff that I like about their films. You know, I, I think they do a really good job all the way around with things. And, and whenever I'm doing, whenever I'm writing something, the dialogue has to make sense. Um, I'm not sure who the writers are for a lot of stuff. Uh, so I don't really have a particular inspiration for that. But my thought whenever I'm writing is, how would somebody in a situation, whatever situation I'm writing for, how would somebody realistically say this stuff? How would the conversation go? Who would say what? How would the guy, if, 
if you're doing a funeral scene and you got all these people, how would this guy react if his if if the person that died was really he was really close to you know how would they react? Would it be a super big breakdown or would it be a gradual breakdown? Would it be them trying to hold themselves together while all these people are around? And then finding the conversation that makes sense for those scenes. So whenever it comes to filmmaking as a whole, it, it all it all kind of wraps into one. And like I said, I'm no budget. I don't have any kind of money to put towards anything. Here and there, I'll be able to put $20 to something, $25, $10, $5 towards props that I could use or towards, um, costumes or whatever. Uh, I don't have any professional equipment. I don't have a gimbal. I don't have a, uh, a, uh, what is it called? Oh my gosh. Uh, I have tripod, little mini tripods that turn into handheld, uh, things for your phone. And, uh, you can also put a camera on there as well. But, um, <coughs> I, I have, very little professional equipment, little to no prof professional equipment. I do all of my work on my iPhone, and that's because I don't have a computer that has enough storage. I don't have a computer that is uh, in good enough shape to be able to do a lot of this stuff. I use an app called CapCut, which I'm sure if you're listening to this, you've seen the stuff you can do on CapCut from TikTok mainly. Um, but any shorts that are vertical camera, any, uh, TikToks that you see, those are most likely made on CapCut. You can do stuff on the app, the TikTok app, but most of the stuff that you're seeing probably has been done on uh, TikTok. Um, there are other apps, but TikTok's been the best app for me as far as editing, doing anything. You can get into the details really big. This is a non-sponsored ad for TikTok or for CapCut, apparently. Um, but it, it works really well for me. I've edited the the Brothers movie I made completely on CapCut. Uh, it's wonderful. It's a great movie. Go and check it out on the Shirley Boy Entertainment YouTube page. It's wonderful. Uh, over 800 views on it so far and hopefully still climbing. Um, but that's kind of my inspiration for everything, you know, it, it has to be based in reality. And I think Christopher Nolan's Batman really put me in that mindset because it wasn't fantasy. It was based in science, based in reality. Everything he had, like I said earlier, everything Bruce Wayne had or Lucius Fox had in that movie was based in reality. All military surplus or all military uh, experimental military equipment, all uh, things that the army or whatever military services in Gotham were going to be using. You know, it was all research and development equipment. It wasn't anything that Batman uh, was like, oh, I made this in my life. No, this is all technical stuff that the military in the DC universe, Nolan's DC universe would have been using. And I think that was really cool. And that helps me in a big way to make things feel as grounded as possible. Even if I, even if we're able to do big time superhero movies where they're flying, where there's a lot of special effects, yada, yada, reality, uh, basing things in reality is still going to be a very big thing because I want whatever I'm doing to feel like you could, like I said a second ago, like you can see it. If you step out your front door, it's right there in front of you. Nothing seems over the top. Nothing seems crazy. Um, there will be things, obviously, that will 
absolutely will uh, uh, break the laws of physics and, yada, and, and all that stuff whenever we get to the point of superpowers in the hero verse, if we do. But um, at the moment, with the people, with the heroes that we're going with, and with any other projects that are going to be video projects, I want it to be based in reality. Um, and just one other thing, if I'm doing any kind of sci-fi stuff, so if I did a Doctor Who show, uh, a Doctor Who short fan film, or if I made the Ace Chronicles into an actual short film, um, I'd want those to feel realistic as well. And what I mean by that is, you know, even though these are taking place either on a different planet or even if they're here on Earth and you've got this alien or whatever, I want it to feel like the conversations they're having are conversations that uh, you and I could have or the struggles that they're facing would be understandable struggles that you would be like, oh, that's a tough choice, you know? What what should he do? What would I do in that situation? So that that's kind of what I mean by based in reality, apart from the obvious based in reality. Even if I was to do crazy over-the-top stuff, I would still want to base it in some sort of uh, reality um, to the uh, current living situation of most individuals, you know. But, yeah. So, guys, it has been a great episode. I am very happy that we got to hang out again for another solo episode, another week of me jabbering on about whatever I feel like talking about. Um, and I can't wait till the next time when you guys get to hang out with me, whenever I get to hang out with you. But of course, you know, next week's a special guest episode. So we'll see what we can do for that episode and see where we can go from there. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to get somebody really cool in and be able to talk to them about all kinds of different things, you know. Uh, I always have fun picking people's brains, talking to them about other uh, random things, you know, playing music with them if they're musicians, talking about their inspirations and, you know, just different things. But as for this episode, episode 11, it is time to say something. Now it's time for so long. Can't sing that full song um, because it's uh, Blue's Clues and I don't want to get in trouble. But uh, it's very true. Now it's time for so long. So until next time, guys, same day, same time, Mondays at noon. Be ready next week when we come with a brand new episode of the Adam Talks podcast. You guys have a great rest of your day. And always remember to listen when Adam talks.